0: The Great Commission calls us to make disciples, not converts. And as Jesus ascended into the skies, he clarified our purpose of discipleship as he delivered the Great Commission. The job is incomplete when someone comes to faith in Christ. If you're ready to take the next step, it's time to go the second mile in discipleship. Hey, this is Travis Agnew. Thank you for joining me for this 47th episode of the Second Mile Podcast, where this was started out earlier this year, uh, just for the attempt of, hey, I want to help Christians who want to take Jesus seriously and not do things halfway. Let's really get after it and get after it as we follow Him. And so, in this 47th episode, I want to talk to you uh, just about what does it mean to make disciples again. Uh, last week, uh, I shared that and released a book uh, called "Distinctive Discipleship" and also a uh, eight week Bible study workbook called "Distinctive Discipleship." Bible study uh, that kind of sort of been the um, something that I've been just sort of chewing on and praying over and trying to implement over the last two years of my life as I sought a practical way to help people uh, within our local church and in our our, our family. Just to, what does it mean to make disciples? Uh, to really get in, engaged in this, we know it's important, but an actual guide to do it. And the the concept of distinctive discipleship is this: is not everybody needs the exact same things. We're all in different places, right? Uh, and so just as a way to kind of share what I've been uh, working on or, or sharing. Uh, maybe just the episode of this podcast will sort of help you think about uh, where you are right now in your own discipleship journey and how you can actually help someone else. Obviously, you can get uh, one or both of those books on Amazon. Uh, you can find them on my blog at travisagnew.org. Uh, it's just a way that I honestly I was encouraged by some pastors outside of our church uh, that they really felt like, hey, what's going on at your church and some of the stuff we hear you talking about. Other folks need to know about this because people are looking for some type of guide and and the goal was not to create a curriculum. Uh, that is something that you have to be tied to, but more like a process that would help you narrow down a focus in your own life or in the life of someone else. And so that's the reason why I put this to print uh, and just felt like, you know what, I want to steward my life and the opportunities that I've been given. Uh, and if it can help somebody, even outside our faith family, that's awesome. And so maybe this will help you. So maybe it's just on this podcast today, get you thinking about your own personal growth or how you could help disciple someone else. Maybe you're interested in, in looking more into the book. If not, we got, I uh, got plenty of resources on my blog just to sort of get you you down the path. So last week, uh, I read the first half of chapter one from the Distinctive Discipleship book, called um, the chapter one is called Discipleship Reorientation. And I want to read the second half of the book uh, to you today, uh, just uh, sort of get you thinking. Um, and this is just something, once again, I've been praying over, um, just really studying and trying to figure out a way to implement uh, just personal discipleship in my own life and in those around me. So I pray this will help you. So we're going to jump in uh, second half of chapter one as we look at Distinctive Discipleship. Here we go. The Great Commission calls us to make disciples, not converts. As he ascended into the skies, Jesus clarified our purpose of discipleship when he delivered the Great Commission. The job is incomplete when someone comes to faith in Christ. Discipleship and not conversion is the goal. Evangelism is necessary, but it is not ultimate. Even though many of us possess a crippling fear surrounding the task of evangelism, we at least acknowledge that we are supposed to be involved in such work. The danger lies not in focusing upon evangelism, but in neglecting discipleship. So why are we so unwaveringly fixated on the originating moment of faith while neglecting the ongoing development of faith? Birth out of a legitimate concern to see sinners transformed by the gospel and to avoid the fires of hell, many Christians uh, focus on pinpointing a moment of conversion rather than prioritizing a lifetime of progression. Once a person raises a hand, walks an aisle, or says a prayer, we all utter a collective sigh of relief that heaven issued another get-out-of-hell-free card before it was too late. For all practical purposes, the colossal burden of another's spiritual condition is alleviated from us as soon as a person initially claims to follow Christ. The only problem with this line of thinking is that our work is not complete once a person becomes a Christian. The initial step of following Jesus is critical, and no other subsequent steps can be taken without it, But it is not the exclusive expectation. In fact, winning the soul for Christ was never meant to be the solitary goal. The point of conversion is not to escape the devil, but to embrace the divine. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not the fear of hell. So if our spiritual strategies focus solely on evangelism to the neglect of discipleship, we are doing these immature believers a seismic disservice. Realistically, we spend most of our efforts on making converts instead of disciples because it is easier to measure. We can graph how many people made a momentary decision, but how do we follow up to ensure those people are continuing to make lifelong commitments? We must grow disciples into maturity, but we are often immobilized by our inability to articulate how to do it and our fear of doing it wrong. Uncertainty is understandable, but idleness is intolerable. The result of our inactivity has produced many immature believers who ought to be far more advanced by now. Our churches have been overrun by spiritual infants caring for one another because many have never matured in their faith. We grieve the lack of spiritual vitality among us, but why should we be shocked if we focus on getting someone to walk across the threshold of salvation, but rarely teach them how to walk upon the path of application? Now, In its simplest form, disciple means learner. A disciple is a student of someone else. In Jesus' day, disciple was not a unique term solely reserved for spiritual context. It was used to describe whenever one was learning something from another. In our context, we automatically envision a student learning in some educational setting. While a version of classroom learning did exist during Jesus' time, most education was done along the way rather than in the seat. Disciples matured by immersing themselves in modeling, equipping, and implementing types of environments. You weren't a disciple from afar. You could never accept that designation if you only heard the expert nestled from your seat in the back of the classroom. A disciple became a follower of the mentor and learned all that he could by observing the mentor's life up close. In Jesus' efforts to disciple the original twelve, he exemplified what he expected them to imitate. Choose a small number of people and ask them to follow you wholeheartedly for a set time. Empty yourself and give them everything you have. Multiply yourself through those disciples and then send them out to replicate what you did. The process of discipleship is supremely simple yet intricately involved. If discipleship is so simple in theory, why aren't we doing it? Well, number one, due to apathy. An apathetic disposition sidelines many people. Too many worldly concerns have stolen our hearts and quieted our passions. Number two, insecurity. Some allow insecurity to rob us of discipleship opportunities. Many of us have this imaginary spiritual qualification line in our minds. We honestly believe once we cross it, we will be ready to make disciples. The only problem is that the line continues to distance itself every time we draw near. Number three, complexity. We believe that discipleship has a nature of complexity. Unfortunately, we have put so many hurdles in front of our efforts that we honestly buy into the lie that it is too difficult even to attempt. Number four, unavailability. Many of us will never engage in discipleship due to our unavailability. People take time and effort, and we would rather meet with them occasionally than walk beside them throughout life. Five, unclarity. Many of us neglect discipleship due to unclarity. While we talk about its importance, we simply don't know where to begin. That is where I would like for us to start. Let's remove the excuses and get to work. We have wasted enough time despairing our inabilities. It is time to start embracing our opportunities. I'm going to provide a paradigm for you to initiate. This process will allow you as a distinct disciple maker to develop a distinct disciple. You don't need my list of what I think is essential. You need a biblical plan to help you engage in a distinctive discipleship approach. I will give you some comprehensive broad strokes, but you will need to color in the specific details. The goal of this book is to help you design a distinctive plan for discipleship. You will not be discipled by the end of this book, but you will have a game plan for the next few months of your life to that end. The immediate goal is progression instead of completion. If you implement this plan, you will have a detailed, personalized guide that will set you up for gradual spiritual success. As a disciple of Jesus myself, I longed for something that I couldn't easily uncover in the Bible. I wanted a simple discipleship checklist. Knowing the unclarity in my mind and the minds of those around me, I intently desired to develop a thorough guide that I could work through with another individual. Once we could cross off every item on this expansive list, I could present the individual with a certificate of discipleship, and the job would be complete. My dilemma arose when I realized that my list would probably change through the years, as well as differ from everyone else's felt priorities. People from different denominations, backgrounds, and nations could never agree on what such a standard would be. As I investigated options, I was unsettled by the popular notion that mere curriculum completion guarantees spiritual maturity. Completing a workbook does not equate to arriving at wholeness as a disciple. Many helpful attempts at discipleship employ measurements to determine how mature a person is. While I appreciate the intention of such tools, I'm very skeptical of such a concept. In certain processes, once an individual reaches a certain mature status, that person is designated as a disciple as if the job on his or her soul is complete. The problem I had with these approaches is that maturity is subjective if not slippery. I know people who could pass a seminary theological exam and would be classified by such assessments as a mature disciple. Still, if you looked at the spiritual quality of his or her life, the practicum part would not fare so well. Many people have a biblical theology but lack a biblical practice. On the other hand, many people portray a godly lifestyle but lack godly knowledge. Such guides are incapable of graphing variability." I am wary of scales that label someone as mature or not when all of us are incomplete, inconsistent, and in progress. Any measurement of spiritual health is riddled with man-made flaws. As if the different components are not enough to complicate the matter, each of us finds ourselves moving up and down those specific scales in our spiritual development. The lessons I learned last year will most likely require repetition in a few years from now. My certificate of completion does not prevent me from needing remedial courses in the future. And even if I have been successful through the trials up to this point, there are yet more turns along the way of which I will require further direction. In discipleship, no one has arrived and no one will ever arrive entirely in this life. In my dilemma, I sought to create a workable list, but instead I discovered a flexible paradigm. While I attempted to develop a discipleship strategy, I stumbled across a simple yet thorough example that floored me. I didn't need to come up with a template because one was already there. Nestled within three verses of Scripture, this versatile plan made perfect sense. The more I studied it, the more convinced I became that a simple, adaptable, and repeatable plan is precisely what I needed. Perhaps it is what you've been looking for as well. We don't need a reimagining of discipleship. We need a reorientation. Let's get back to the basics of one disciple giving everything away to another. If we rid ourselves of generic approaches and forced expectations, we can start addressing our actual spiritual positions and start seeing notable progress. Discipleship is the intentional investment of a believer for the instruction and imitation of another disciple. We have each lived through soaring successes and frustrating failures. Discipleship is the opportunity to utilize those experiences to advance another. Regardless of how much you think you have— Would you be willing to give that to someone else? In the following pages, I want to give you a plan for distinctive discipleship. Honestly, it is so simple that I initially resisted putting it into a book. As I taught the process to others, I was encouraged by church members and church leaders to make it available to people outside of our church family. Their rationale was how desperately a unique yet straightforward approach was needed for others as well. Once I realized that I wasn't the only one frustrated with vague criteria— I decided to develop this into different formats so that it could help a motivated believer narrow down the work into a targeted plan. The prayer for this book is that it can articulate the concepts in such a way that you can understand the paradigm fully and implement it simply. In this model, you can develop a plan for your growth or the growth of another. By employing this simple guide, you will work within six categories to create a guide to disciple your mentee, your family, or your group. After unpacking the process, you will be able to memorize it effortlessly and continue to fill out additional plans to make more disciples throughout the years. You can use this process with a child or an adult. It requires no specialized curriculum to use. Any person in any nation can utilize it because it is not dependent upon a given scenario or specific program. At the end of this process, no certificates will be provided because only Jesus gets the right to hand those out. When we finally see Him, we will finally be like Him. Until that happens, Let's continue to make gradual yet beneficial progress. Before I explain the six categories, let's do a little more unpacking of necessary discipleship elements. Then we can be on our way. These concepts are too important to neglect. If you get these biblical ideas nestled tightly in your soul, you will hopefully be set free to do what Christ commanded you to do, make disciples. That's the end, chapter one, entitled Discipleship Reorientation of a book that just came out last week called Distinctive Discipleship. Uh, That and its companion resource, uh, the Distinctive Discipleship Bible Study, you can use independently or you can use them together. You can go on my blog, TravisHagney.org to get some of the free resources or listen to the sermons that sort of uh, started a lot of this stuff. Uh, You can go to Amazon if you would like to check out those books, either in print or in digital format. This is just my attempt. Jesus made his disciples of Peter, James, and John, and they continue to pass on from generation to generation, onto nation to nation, and it ends up with us. And so what are we going to do now that the baton has been passed to us? It is our opportunity to go and make disciples of all nations starting where we are. And I just pray that this resource or something will get you going in that process of obeying the Great Commission. I hope to see you on the second mile.